Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome. This is Linda Crater, and I'm joined today by my incredible co-host, Les Davis. Good morning, Les. Good morning. Good. I am so glad that we are on today. We are going to give you a really wonderful day. We are talking to Christy Kaufman, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Code of Support Foundation. And Christy's going to explain all about what they do, what they're working on right now, and why they're such an important resource for you to know about. And we are very, very pleased that she's carved out some time to talk to us today. And Christy, welcome. We are delighted to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Well, you're doing a lot of interesting things, but I would really love that we can get some information out to our listeners exactly how you began Code of Support Foundation, how you became involved in the military space, and just really give us some background story on needs that you've fulfilled. Sure. So uh, I consider myself a relatively unlikely Army wife. Um, I grew up in New York, and I went to school at Berkeley, which is probably as far from the military as you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. And I met my now former husband, um, the only place a girl that went to Berkeley could meet a guy that went to West Point, Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay there, because I went from Berkeley, California, to Lawton, Oklahoma, which was oh my, my first duty station. Exactly. Okay. It was, it was a culture shock for me and for Oklahoma, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I happened to get married just before September 11th. And so, um, not only did my life change, uh, just becoming, um, a military wife and then moving to Oklahoma, but then we got married in June and in September, of course, 9-11. So I was kind of thrust into this military culture I knew very little about. And I was older, I guess, for for most first-time Army wives. I was 30 when I got married. Um, And a lot of the women who have, you know, who are in the military with their husbands kind of have come up through um, the the ranks with them, so to speak. Uh, And so, you know, I didn't really know anything about anything. Uh, But I I quickly realized the... um, the impact the war was having on military families and mental health and, and uh, really wanted to do my best to mitigate as much as I could possibly do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, I was working in the FRG system, which, as we all know, has its ups and downs. Um, and um, when he did his battalion command at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, it was two years of constant deployment. We were rotating batteries um, every six months. And so I was seeing what was happening with soldiers and families right before they were about to deploy, while they were deployed, and right when they got back, all in the same battalion, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was a mess, to be honest with you. This was from 06 to 08. Uh, and it was during the surge. And so... Um, being the Berkeley girl that I am, I, I tried to change the entire system by myself, which 
They <laughs> love when you do that at mm. Fort Bragg. They just love it. Uh, and so uh, that didn't really have the desired effect other than basically getting my husband in trouble, um, uh, which I thought was fairly ridiculous, being as that I was a you know volunteer wife trying to do my best to support these families and had really identified some systemic flaws in the way we were going about it. Uh, and, um, like, yeah, tried like steering what? committee. Can you give so, an example? Yeah. I mean, these family readiness groups, I understand where the concept came from. Uh, it came out of these family support groups. They actually changed the S to an R to make sure it was more about readiness and less about support. Uh, and the model of having, you know, spouses, um, really step in and take care of other family members isn't necessarily a bad model in a volunteer sense, but it had at that point had become overwhelming. Uh, we, we just don't have the capacity, particularly if you're going through your own issues, um, to take care of the level of need that we were seeing. I mean, we were basically all acting as social workers. Uh, um, and so I, I didn't think that was a good model. I thought the army should professionalize it and, you know, put social workers in the units. And a couple of years later, they started putting the MFLEX in there and, um, and some other support. So I think that that started to happen. But at the time, we were expected to take care of, you know, a thousand family members in my husband's battalion with no money and four volunteers. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's mm. kind of crazy. Uh, you know, we were, and Christy, everybody what, who's, if, go ahead. I was going to ask when, when you were dealing with uh, the family and family members and the soldiers returning off these constant deployments, because we, we all know that uh, that schedule was brutal back then. The, what, what was the biggest struggle that you, that you witnessed with the soldiers and families? I mean, what were you, what can you say that and this was our number one reason and this is, this is how we handled it? You know, well, we were seeing a lot of mental health things come up with, with not just the soldiers, but the spouses and the children. And we really didn't have the infrastructure to deal with it. I mean, I have to give it to the chaplains. They really stepped up and mm -hmm. basically became mental health workers in, in units, I think. So I think the mental health part of it, but, and that's not, you know, just PTS and potentially TBI, it's exhaustion, <sighs> it's depression. Um, I think that military wives have this kind of, we've got to keep everything together because if we don't keep it together, then, you know, everything else is going to fall apart, which mm -hmm. is partially true, but that's really hard to do over the space of constant deployments. It's one thing to do it once. It's hard the second time. Once you're getting into three, four, five, six, seven deployments, I, I think it's unreasonable um, to expect people to kind of keep a stiff upper lip for that entire time. So I think exhaustion probably was one of the biggest things that we saw. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I, I, as I was, I was not a part of that. I had, I had retired before the, but I, I was part of, I was still um, servicing the military and I seen, I seen that exactly what you're talking about. It, it was almost like they just, uh, they just did as they were getting out a lot of as I was I dealt with a lot of transitioning soldiers and families and it was just they as they were transitioning they just were worn out they were just looking for guidance all the time because they just didn't know where to turn and I think when you when you're talking about the mental part of it it seems like that's exactly what you're saying they just it, it's almost like they were giving up they just needed assistance they just needed somebody to uh, give them some some guidance on how to handle the situation now 
Yeah. It's almost yeah, like I, they just threw their hand. What else? I, I think that you, you know, you just kind of get into this rhythm. Anybody who's been part of the military um, for at least a couple of years, you, you just get into this rhythm. And they were calling it back then our new normal. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand what they were trying to do there to normalize a situation so that you could get through it. But here's the problem. That was not normal. <laughs> it was nothing not about that was normal. normal. And so I think when you when you set that bar to say, okay, well, if you can't live up to this new normal, then you're failing. And I think that's one of the things I saw with the wives a lot. And we were combat arms, and so I, I'm saying wives because that's all we had mm-hmm. in our unit. Um, but you know, we people were just thinking, okay, I guess I'm not strong enough. I mean, this whole thing that back back then they had got launched the comprehensive soldier family fitness. You guys right. remember that? Of course. Um, yeah. And and so I, I have no argument with it's a good idea to come from a strength based perspective and help build your coping skills and resiliency. But I definitely was not the only army wife that had a problem with the way that it was pushed out to us, which was, you know what, we know that you know you've been through multiple deployments, but we're just going to teach you to be stronger. We're like seriously. <laughs> Well, the uh, up-tempo was just <laughs> exhausting at that point. And it, many, many families would say that they never really came back because they were always preparing to go again. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it was. I mean, the way it, it kind of felt, it was, you know, before they left, they were gone mentally for three months. I mean, whenever my husband was about, knew he was about to go, I mean, they just are prepping, right? And so they're not mm-hmm. really entirely there. And then they're gone for a year or 15 months or whatever it is. Uh, and then they come back and after that 30 day block leave, it just counts down again. They start going out into the field. Um, you know, it's and it's not like this recuperation period uh, mm-hmm. or whatever they were calling it was like you were sitting there enjoying life. I mean, they were training and, you know, as soon as their boots hit the ground, we were ready for them to go again. And so that that's tough, too, for the soldier, because they want to be part of the family again. And, you know, you're kind of like, don't screw anything up because I've got everything ready for you to go again. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I think that was um, that was probably stressful for for families. It certainly was for us. Well, it's true. And it pervaded through a family. It it went right down to children. It went to uh, friend relations. It went everywhere because you you I mean, our tagline is is often everyone serves and together we make a difference. But when you're not able to be together because of the up-tempo and because of the pressures, that makes things really tough. Is this when you started to feel that there was a niche that needed to be filled? Yeah, I think to your point, Ben, earlier about trying to figure out what to do and where to go. Okay, Mm -hmm. so in this battalion, I mean, we went to ACS. I remember we were getting, we were calling out Um, to family members every two weeks just to say, hey, this is what's going on, what's going on with you, just kind of touching base with people. And we started to see people on the phone, spouses expressing suicidal thoughts and ideations. And so I'm like, this isn't good. And my 24 and 26-year-old volunteers who are calling out, um, you know, they're not trained for this. And so I remember going to ACS and asking them for some kind of suicide prevention training. And they looked at me like I was crazy, like, you guys shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> but no one else is. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I think it became this thing where no one knew where to go for what. And I'm not saying that ACS doesn't have a lot of great um, opportunities and programs that I think are underutilized sometimes or whatever the, you know, the, the Marines and the Navy and the Air Force call it. But 
there were so many organizations and agencies outside of the gates that we could have tapped into that if I had known about, we would have been all over them. I mean, I'm talking about pro bono mental health care. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But at that time, it's different now, but at that time we were actively discouraged from going outside of, of post. There you go, Christy. We have to take a break right now, but you just made a perfect We will be back after these messages, and we will continue finding out how we best navigate the system under these circumstances. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey there, it's Christine Gallagher from She's Got Clients.com. I'm really excited to share with you the first annual Get Clients Online giveaway. I have gathered a spectacular group of contributors who are providing you with amazing gifts that will help you get cash flow in clients in less time online. So I've teamed up with more than 50 other business industry leaders to bring you templates, checklists, and other valuable goodies to grow and scale a sustainable business that brings you more income with less effort. So all you need to do is head over to getclientsonlinegiveaway.com, put your name and email address in, and you'll get instant access to more than 50 free business building tools, templates, products, and services, including Facebook funnel templates, LinkedIn cheat sheets, sales scripts, and so much more. That's getclientsonlinegiveaway.com. Head over there and enjoy your free gifts. Are you a cheese lover? Then you would be called a quesophile. Cheese has been around a long time. In fact, the remains of cheese were found in Egyptian tombs over 4,000 years ago. The United States produces 25% of the world's cheese, while the largest consumer is Greece. If you're an average American, you'll eat 27 pounds of cheese per year. A cheese factory in Wisconsin is the only place still making the famously stinky Limburger cheese. The pungent odor comes from the bacteria that live in the rind. Apparently, mosquitoes are attracted to Limburger cheese. This could make anyone a tyrophobiac. That's a person who's afraid of cheese. They say it's the early bird that gets the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Christy Kaufman of the Code of Support Foundation. Christy, right before the break, where I had to unfortunately cut you off, you were talking about that there were tons of resources outside the gate that if you had known about them, you would have utilized them. But that's often a huge problem. If you don't know about something, you can't access it. So is this when you began to find thoughts about what can I do to make a difference and how can I make it help? Yeah, uh, exactly. We don't have a problem in the society anymore with lack of information. That is not our problem. (laughs) It's that there's so much information, it's almost impossible to successfully navigate. And that's even more true when you're in some kind of crisis. So after we left Fort Bragg, um, I ended up writing an op-ed that was published in the Washington Post back in 2009 called Army Families Under Fire. 
And that was enough to get me um, in front of the people I really needed to be talking to, mm-hmm. uh, really, like the Secretary of Defense and the President and his wife. And I knew enough to know that I really didn't know enough. I understood from my myopic point of view as a battalion commander's wife what was going on on the ground. But I had no idea that there was this ecosystem of <laughs> programs and resources and nonprofits. And I remember the first time I went to the White House, I had been invited to this meeting with all of these nonprofit leaders. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because I had, I was, quote unquote, just a wife. I had written this op-ed and the president and his wife had read it and they wanted to be there. And then everybody had, you know, their own little placards like Red Cross, Fisher House. And mine was just like Christy. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough. Obviously, that was enough. <laughs> and so, but that was when I realized I'm sitting around this table and I'm listening to these people talk about their programs. And, and you know, about halfway through, I hadn't said anything. And, and Mrs. Obama was actually like, you know, Christy, do you have anything? And I said, well... I think this stuff is fantastic. I have no idea who three three quarters of you are. And I was a pretty educated consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, and I and I said, well, we need to do something about making sure all these great resources get to where um, they would benefit folks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I really did, didn't know enough. And I put my head down for about two years, took every meeting that I could and went to all these conferences. And every time I would lose traction and people wouldn't take my meetings anymore, I would write something else or speak in front of Congress. But that gets really tiring to do like Mm -hmm. on your own. And so I knew I needed some kind of organizational backing. But after that two years, I realized what I thought needed to be created didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. There was no one organization that was really dedicated to integration of effort and what has become such a very fragmented troop veteran family support space. And so I met General Salisbury, my co-founder, who's a Vietnam veteran, and we created Code of Support. That with one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so talk about what your concept was from the beginning. What were you going to try and achieve? And then explain how that has really potentially, I'm sure has, evolved over the years. Because you've been in business now, what, 11 years, 12 years? No, six Oh, six. six. I'm sorry. Years. Yeah, six I read years. that wrong on the website. And for those of you who are near a computer, you can find out more about what we're talking about today by going to codeofsupport.org while you're listening to Christy. So six years. Okay. So back to the question. How did, what did you try and start with and how did it evolve? So, okay. So we started with this idea of there's so much information and resources in this space, uh, 40,000 plus nonprofits with military veteran in their mission statement. The DOD and the VA are spending billions of dollars. You've got the private sector, academia, faith-based institutions. Bottom line, forward-trending outcomes for our community should be better. Yet suicide and homelessness and all of these things, these indicators, are not matching up to the amount of resources and effort being put behind it. So we said, all right, well, we've got to do something about this. The first thing we did is we created what we called a case coordination program. And that's a team of caregiver and veteran peer navigators that work directly with troops, veterans, and families across the country. And basically what they do is they do an intake, identify, assess, and prioritize um, our clients' often multiple needs. Someone might think they have one problem, like I'm about to be evicted, but you peel back that onion and you recognize all the other things that are factoring into that crisis state, whether mm-hmm. it's mental health, employment, benefit, legal, transportation, all of those things. 
people do not come in pretty little boxes, right? Mm -hmm. There's one thing I learned about being a military wife. It was that people have complex families and needs, and you really have to look at someone's life very holistically in order to kind of not just solve the crisis, but get them into a more sustainable and hopefully back to a thriving kind of state. And so the case coordination program really is dedicated to doing that. We measure well-being with a set of questions as the uh, troop veteran family member comes in. Uh, and then we ask those same questions once we close the case, once we've leveraged resources on their behalf. And then we call out three, six, nine, 12 months. Um, and to get a sense of great, we leveraged um, you know, financial counseling and uh, employment and housing and mental health a year later are these people still better off? That's what we're really trying to focus on, that outcome Christy, impact. Christy, is your, is, is, do, you, do you more focus on the the active duty service member or, or do you focus on veterans? I mean, is there a, do you, so do you help out either one? Does yeah, our eligibility criteria is, is everybody, right? So active duty, veterans, family members, caregivers, um, pretty much everyone. The majority, I think, of the people that we get are veterans, but we certainly do have um, active duty folks and transitioning folks. We'd like to actually get into that population more, particularly transitioning folks, because mm -hmm. if we can get resources to folks before they're in crisis, that would be better for everybody. But it's human nature that people don't tend to reach out for help until they're really in trouble. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, exactly right. I watched one of your videos that you had purchased a a wheelchair accessible van for you know a navy veteran which that that video itself well you've got to be uh, pretty hardcore not to get emotional when watching that one that's the that 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 something you did there by and for that that family was just a great indicator of what your foundation is all about yeah what jackie is, is incredible and i just want to point out that so people understand what we do we provide peer navigation we actually partnered with another organization that purchased this van so we don't provide financial assistance directly. We have partner organizations that we can leverage for, whether it's financial or transportation or mental health. We're the ones who are tying all those resources together. Well, certainly. And, and that's, uh, and I said that in the video, I just thought that was a, a great example of what you, are there, are there things that maybe us, the civilian population they just don't understand about um, uh, what we go through as we transition out of the military. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, just like I don't like to group all veterans in or troops in, uh, just saying all civilian population. But I think Fair generally enough. because we have this, you know, all volunteer force and um, we've had so few people fighting uh, these wars for so long that. Americans seem to have this general good sense and goodwill of our community, mm -hmm. but really have no idea what the hell is going on, right? <laughs> so, you know, some of that is, is on us. We have to be willing to tell our stories, both the good and the bad, and get out there and talk to people um, and not just hold it all in. I mean, for a while there, we were actively discouraged from really going off post and engaging the community. I don't mm -hmm. think that that's the, the case anymore. Uh, but I, I, the biggest thing I would think is that people, most Americans think when you transition out of the military, the VA's got you. Mm -hmm. That's what they think. They think that the VA is taking care of everything and that you should have no problems. Um, and obviously, we know that's not the case.
Well, and that is coming to light more and more in the the news reports that you read, etc. I think that the plight of veterans and this overwhelming thought that the VA handling is is no longer the case the way it was even two, three years ago. I think the integrated effort that you're talking about is so very important because while some organizations talk about it, not every organization does it. But you're already giving examples of coordinated efforts. And that's very, very important in terms of being able to serve all the needs that are out there. So when you started out, you were working on these partner organizations and the peer navigation with the case coordinators. Do you still do that? And what have you added since the beginning? So yes, we still have our case coordination team. I have five people doing that. If I could get more funding, I would add more. We always have a list of people waiting for our services. Mm -hmm. There aren't really any other organizations at the national level doing what we're doing, and there's such a need for it. Um, I will want to just say before I, I jump into the next thing, the VA certainly could be doing better. No question about it. Certain, certain VAs are doing better than others. But the fact is, the VA can't take care mm-hmm. of every need. It yeah. does mostly health care, some benefits. But beyond that, you know, you have other um, challenges and needs and opportunities. They're not going to get too far into employment or, or other things like that. And so we have to leverage the full spectrum of resources that are available in this country. Mm-hmm. Unless we do that, unless we tie those things together, the outcomes for our generation uh, um, could be could be as bad as they have been for the Vietnam generation. And wouldn't that be a shame being as that the resources are out there and we just couldn't get our you-know-what together, basically? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's a very valid point because there are a lot of resources. As you said, I believe, earlier, I think that the civilian population in general honors our troops and veterans and they just don't know how to help so often when you ask for help you will receive it they just need direction so i think that the divide that people talk about is not really there as much as an unwilling force it's an unknowing force right. and and i think that's important because i i don't like it when we divide all of us up and and say you know, sweeping statements, and, and you did not, and and I'm not either. I think it's important that we just understand and then listen to how we can all help. So we're talking today with Christy Kaufman of Code of Support Foundation, and unfortunately, we're coming up on another break. And Christy, I'd love to know what you think are the most pertinent needs now, and how Code of Support is adapting to face those needs and to address them for both our service members as well as our veterans. And Les, I know you have a question um, that you want to ask later on, but we're going on a short break. There'll be some short messages. Don't leave us. There's so much more about Code of Support Foundation we'd like you to know about, because if you know about it, you can find out about more help. And that's what we're here to do today. We'll be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. 
Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. is almost here and the scarecrows or taffy doolies as the scottish call them are out but halloween is all about trick-or-treating and that means candy the average american eats 24 pounds of candy a year and most of that consumption occurs around halloween what do you call a person who loves to eat a grand gozier popular costumes for this year are happy face and wink face emojis of course, since it's a presidential election year, there are various costume choices for those who wish to dress up as Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton or Republican candidate Donald Trump. If you ask me, the only thing scarier than Halloween this year is the presidential election. What's another word for the fear of Halloween? Sam Hainophobia. Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Christy Kaufman. Christy, when you are looking at the needs now that need to be met, what are some of the differences that you're seeing and some unmet needs that Code of Support is working toward supporting? So we track kind of what uh, people are, are calling us for. There's mm-hmm. particularly when people have been out a couple of years and they're not getting that regular paycheck. Uh, financial uh, insecurity is a big problem um, uh, for folks. I don't think that's just a military veteran thing. Uh, but I think that in our in our culture, when you're really used to you know, getting a check and getting your benefits and then you get out and <laughs> you don't necessarily have that situation. Um, and so we see a lot of financial insecurity. We see a lot of um, uh, financial um, basically not knowing how mm-hmm. to balance um, your finances and living beyond your means. And so we have a great partnership with the uh, CFPB, Consumer Federal Protection Bureau, and they actually have like 50 people across the country that work just with uh, military veteran folks um, to help them with budgeting and financing and all that. So they've been a, a huge good uh, partner um, of ours. Uh, we see a lot of lagging mental health things mm-hmm. come up. So people, like I said, you have your nose to the grindstone, you're doing what you have to do. And then you pick your head up after you get out and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> that just <laughs> happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, you start to process things when you're out of the immediate crisis zone and, you know, people have snakes in their heads and this is not just the, the, the veterans, this is family members mm-hmm. as well. We see a lot of 
um, you know, issues with, with spouses and children who um, are living with someone with, um, you know, injuries from war, whether they're physical or mental, and, and what's happening to them. One of the things that nobody really talks about is the mental health impact that these wars have had on family members. Um, fortunately, a couple of years ago, we, we got DOD to start requiring the branches to track um, suicides among family members because it's very hard to get any traction around anything if you don't have numbers. Uh, we're still not doing that on the veteran family side, um, but that's that's a real concern of, of mine and the organizations, and that's why we're, we're so um, adamant about looking at entire families when we take on a case. Uh, so let's say someone has a and they're calling for a mental health issue for their um, their soldier. Uh, we also ask about their mental health and and their kids and see if we can get them equine therapy or 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 what have you. Christy, you said you're 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 talking about family suicide. Mm-hmm. Is it are you seeing that more with the uh, uh, the spouse or the children? I, like I said, we don't have a lot of numbers, so it's hard to tell. Um, anecdotally, I would say I see it more on on the spouse side, but. I will tell you about a year and a half ago, um, we got a call from from a spouse or surviving spouse and a mom and her um, her husband, uh, who was actually active duty at the time, um, shot himself in the head in front of the PTSD clinic on post. And four years later to the day, his son, um, Alex, when he was 12 years old, did the same thing wearing his dad's dog tag. So. You know, it, it's it's happening. Um, we just really have no numbers around it, so it's it's tough to it's tough to get solutions behind it. It is, and yet secondary PTS is well known. It is real. It is prevalent, and there are now some programs that are being developed for youth and teens because in the military space there's a different kind of risk than in the civilian because of the effect on the parent number of shows on teen and youth and family suicidal ideation mental health uh, substance abuse that kind of thing because it is growing and you're right to have your finger on that one it is important to track and it's resisted each and every year on a formal basis i i think a little bit of that is head in the sand they don't really want the numbers to come out but i think unless you know how big the problem is it's difficult to address the issues and and apply the resources. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I just want to say directly to any military or veteran spouse that is listening, it's not you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that was one of the things that we've, we've beat ourselves up about like, well, we shouldn't be feeling this way. And, you know, we, we, my, my husband's the one with issues and I have to take care of him and the kids and it, this has been an extraordinary kind of situation that we've been in. And for those of you who are living with, um, with spouses, uh, that have mental health issues, it is hard. It it is, it is not easy. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that you are feeling stress and that it is affecting you, that is normal. Uh, and so it, just like you would, you know, if you cut your hand real bad, you would go to the hospital. You all need to pay attention to this and stop putting yourself on the back burner uh, and say you're taking care of everybody else. And at sooner or later, it will bite you in the butt. Trust me. Uh, so I just want to encourage everybody who's listening 
to take care of themselves. Very valid. I think you know that I run VeteranCaregiver.com. And while caregivers used to roll their eyes at the issue of self-care, not only are caregivers now realizing that it is not an option, it is a necessity, so are military spouses and families. And thankfully, that is becoming affirmed in the vernacular and people are talking about it. Uh, it's never okay to invalidate people's feelings when they're having them. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So there are sources for exactly that, but losing your mind real. So as you came to these mental health issues that are coming up, which seem to be some of the most prevalent ones in the financial, which is very solid as well, because there isn't a lot of financial education going on. And you're right. You come out of a cloistered system in the military, and then you're thrust into one that is far more loosey-goosey. What, do you, what are the organizations you pair with to do help with that? And how does someone receive that sort of assistance? Is it well accepted or is it resisted? So it, de- it depends. We actually require it. If someone is asking us to try to um, leverage money on their behalf, let's say you know, we're partnered with organizations that can help with um, rent or mortgage or you know, everyday bills if, if, you've, if you've gotten yourself in trouble or you're, got, you're, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But we require as part of our process that you talk to one of these CFPB coaches first to say, all right, it doesn't make sense for us to try to go out and cover your $2,500 mortgage if you have no way of paying it next month, mm-hmm. right? And then that's a deeper conversation that you have with your veteran peer navigator of, all right, what are the choices that we have here? What other living options are there? I think sometimes people just don't want to face like the, the truth of, of uh, this is no longer a sustainable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you have to step back doesn't mean you can't step forward again. I think that's one of the challenges that we see that people are like, if you could just fix this this month, then I'll be okay. And then mm-hmm. you ask them how, and there's not really an answer for that. So I think it's that that's that longer term view, longer view of, of you know, how to make yourself and your family um, more uh sustainable, honestly, um, instead of going from month to month. And I'm fully realized that it is a tough situation out there right now. And it's even if you're working full time, um, you're not necessarily going to be making a lot of money. Uh, but, but there's, there's usually a way to balance things. Yeah, we've seen that. I, I worked with, I've worked with a lot of student veterans, Christy, that's my background. And, and we've seen that when they would, students would come out or veterans would come out and go to school, they, man, they really had to uh, budget, budget their money. They needed some assistance, you know, and help in doing that, like you're saying. Um, the question, the question I had that I, 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 you know, like I told you earlier, I was on your site, I, you know, listening to you and everything you're doing. It's, you just have a fabulous organization. So I'm, as, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, the, as a, the soldier. And they, you know, the airmen, they go through this uh, seven day, five day transition class. And as they're transitioning out of the military, they get all this information thrown at them. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, as well as I do about 90%, they don't, you know, we don't, don't listen. You know, the <laughs> VA is probably the most important thing we listen. The, right. the question I have then is, 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 you got a soldier sitting there at Fort Riley, Kansas, and they need assistance, but how do they find you? Okay. Well, how, I mean, how would, how would you recommend they come and find you? Because it's, it's, you're such a great resource. 
Thank you. I, I think I, I totally agree with you. That whole transition system is trying to get better. I, I will say they were trying. But one of the big gaps in it is that there are basically no community-based resources integrated into that at all. It's, it's DOD, VA, DOL, um, and yes. that's about it. Mm-hmm. And so not that the, D, uh, the VA isn't important in understanding how to enroll and your benefits and all that, but the majority of veterans and their families are going to be getting their opportunities, care, and support in the community, not mm-hmm. from the VA. Mm-hmm. So it is a huge gap that they have not figured out a way to integrate um, those, those community-based resources. And we are, I will say, we're working with the Army on that and hopefully trying to, to get um, the system I'll talk about here in a minute upstream into the transition process so that can, that can make that easier. But, I, I mean, that's a huge problem. That and the fact that they don't include families very well into that process because, to your point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, the guys usually aren't listening very hard. And we're the ones who have to figure out how to move. And, you know, and so we tend to listen more, the spouses, of what's yeah. going on. Absolutely. But I don't think that they've, um, they've done very well at, at integrating us into that transition process. No, and I, as a matter of fact, Linda and I have had this conversation. We could run a, we could run probably five to six shows on the on the changes that need to happen in the transition. Uh, okay. I, I just think it's you know you know just I know we're off topic, but it, it I'll tell you it is uh, it's a shame and it could be a great program. But um, I hope that uh, your your program into somewhere in there that you know they need that community based programming like you're saying. Yeah, and we can really be a conduit for that. As right now, they can find us literally by going to our website or Googling us um, if they're in need of, um, you know, a, a way to help navigate the system, whether they're uh, still active duty um, and they're having issues or, um, or veterans. Uh, we can certainly submit an application for assistance and, and we'll help them out best we can. Terrific. We have our final break of this show. And Christy, we'll talk further about your new project that you're starting on after the break. And I know it's an effort to really try and coordinate and integrate all of these resources. And we're looking forward to learning more about it. And while we can identify the issues, we are here to just show you some resources that can truly help you fill the gaps that you have. We'll be on a short break. We're coming back. We're discussing the Coat of Support Foundation with Christy Kaufman. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. wondered where the terms used in computer speak originated? The word cookie, that packet of information that travels between a browser and web server, is named after the fortune cookie, a cookie with an embedded message. Rebooting the computer is literally pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The name Google was originally coined in 1938 by Milton Sirota, nephew of mathematician Edward Kasner, during a discussion of large numbers. Uh, Google is the number one, followed by 100 zeros. The word Yahoo was originally invented by Jonathan Swift and used in his book Gulliver's Travels. It's a derogatory term for a person who is repulsive in appearance. Yahoo founders Jerry Yang and David Philo selected the name because they considered themselves Yahoos. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. 
often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. Christy, one of the things that you have been working on for all the time that you have been running Code of Support and before is trying to find a way to integrate those resources because don't you didn't you say earlier that you've got your veteran peers overwhelmed with finding resources and helping people and that the caseload gets heavier than you can manage. Talk about that and your solution. Yeah. So for every one need a case coordinator identifies, and typically our average client has four. So some of our top means, like I said, is financial, uh, mental health, benefits, employment, transportation. So for each one of those, they were having to go out to eight organizations to find the one that would fit not just that need, but the eligibility criteria. Mm. So that's like 20 hours a week of research uh, and, and that's not a scalable uh, model. But we didn't want to back away from our, our very holistic approach by leveraging all these resources. So we looked at what had been attempted before. There's something called the National Resource Directory that yes. some of your listeners might be um, uh, knowledgeable about. And it's, it's not like it's a bad resource, but it's, it's difficult uh, to find what you're looking for in an efficient and effective way. Um, just because of how it's populated and right. categorized. So mm -hmm. uh, we went to the market and we asked 150 community-based organizations two questions. The first question was, how are you finding resources for your troops, veterans, and families you don't provide? And 93% said they were Googling. And the second one was, if you had a platform by which you could find these uh, resources, would you spend four to seven minutes using it? Because that's what we had researched that people would be willing to take outside of their own workflow. And of course, almost everybody said yes. Mm -hmm. So at the time, we had no money and partnered with a startup company to develop the um, prototype for what we now call Patriot Link. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to shop that around enough to get a million dollar grant from the Bristol Myers Squibb Foundation, and that's allowed us to move to a much more capable developer in Noblis. So basically, what Patriot Link is is a resource navigation platform that's been designed by the service providers who are going to be using it. The first thing to know is, as of now, this is service provider facing. Uh, we're going to try to tape a small bite of the elephant here. We think that there is a troop veteran family facing version of this in, in app form, maybe in a year and a half. But we wanted to focus on the kind of social services, uh, the colleges, HR departments, anybody that has direct access to our community 
um, who, uh, who can um, help them with resources. So basically, uh, the biggest difference between what we've created and what's been attempted before, every single resource that goes in there goes through about 90 minutes of vetting. And that includes a phone call because half the time what organizations say on their website and what they're doing or their eligibility criteria is different, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> ma'am. And so, and that, and that leads you down all kinds of rabbit holes. I mean, we've all been on phone for like two hours trying to find one thing and calling 18 organizations. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's happened to all of us. So basically, we've created these profiles for each one of these programs. And so when you do a search... Uh, the only things that will come up as a result of the search are going to be things that your troop veteran or family will qualify for. So we've tagged every resource with not just the uh, resource that provides, like, let's say, mental health, but by, with those eligibility criteria. So if it only serves veterans, it would only pop in the veteran search. If it only did families, only post 9-11, disability, discharge status, all of the things that determine eligibility, right? And so it just allows for a much more targeted search. And so the person who's using it, instead of spending two hours or not spending any time at all and just telling the troop veteran or family, sorry, we can't help, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to find something really quickly that is a high, um, high hit to, to the need. You say right now it's service provider facing. How many organizations... So it, I'm sorry, Les. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, how many organizations are do you have as part of Patriot League Link? So, the, remember I said that there are 40,000 nonprofits out there? Mm-hmm. When you do a deeper yes. dive into that number, uh, we've determined that only about 11,000 are providing a direct service, which is the only thing that goes into Patriot Link, right? It's not, there's a lot of great organizations out there that don't qualify for Patriot Link because they don't provide a direct service. Uh, And so once we do the verification piece of that, we think the number will top out around 8,000 or so. Uh, And we just, with the second round of funding, were able to hire as contractors, military and veteran spouses to take over a lot of the verification piece because that's what really takes so much time. Mm -hmm. So we have all 11,000 in the back end of, of Patriot Link now. You can't see them on the front end yet because they haven't been profiled and verified. But once that's done, by the time we launch, we're estimating between eight and ten thousand, and that will also include government resources, direct, you know, like vet centers and and other um, uh, DoD resources as well. So that's kind of what we're looking at uh, in terms of actual content. So my question was slightly different. You said right now it's service provider facing. Now is this so that? organizations can go in and find collaboration partners for what they need to do? Is, is it really service provider facing now to provide resources to the families? Yeah, the, so it, it's, it's both really. So say you're in a, in a National Guard Family Assistance Center mm-hmm. and you have a family come in and they're looking for resources, right? So you might know some that are DOD, but they don't fit. And so you need to find something. Uh, so You can find a resource. You can email that person because we have the actual program point of contact. And we everything gets Mm -hmm. cleaned every six months because it Mm. turns over so quickly. Changes, right. Yeah. And so that's that's all that back end work that has to be done. Uh, And so that service provider, that person can refer that family member or, or troop over there. And they also have an opportunity then to build a relationship, you know, in whatever way that they see fit. Honestly, 
as much as everybody talks about collaboration and collective effort in this space, and I think it's great <laughs> that if you can do it and you're working together in your community, but all I really care about is that that resource gets to need. So if that, right. that National Guard Family Assistance Center never talks to that organization again, uh, as long as they got resource to need, then that to me, that's that's the biggest thing that mission matters. accomplished. Right. Exactly. And and that is important because I think um, everybody everyone does rely on Google or worse. People are so paralyzed by what to find that Google with its six million five hundred and thirty two thousand responses <laughs> makes them stop. Right. And right. so you've got a dual problem there. You might be able to find something locally, but again, it doesn't have the vetting of the eligibility requirements and it doesn't have that targeted search that you're providing. Right. So as King Dakota support, what has been the reception uh, in the marketplace and in the family space? Um, so, you know, it's it, building an organization from the ground up is not for the faint of heart. I mean, no. I've never this was the first time I've ever done anything like this. I mean, I basically was a really pissed off army wife and wanted to do something about it. And, <laughs> and so built an organization, you know, and, uh, but there's a lot of challenges that go with that. And part of it is, you know, building up enough of a um, good reputation in the space, both with people that you're serving and the other organizations. So I think that we've, we've got to the point now that at least in the space within the military veteran support mm -hmm. space, People know what we're doing. Uh, people are very interested, obviously, in Patriot Link. So it's piloted now in about 30 organizations across the country. We're in pilot phase. So Red Cross, National Guard Family Assistance Centers, those types of things have uh, those types of organizations have it. By the time we launch next year, we'd like it to get it in the hands of thousands and thousands of providers, which means theoretically there would be a no wrong door. Right. So if mm -hmm. you're a troop veteran or family and you walk into a place or you call a place and they say, no, we sorry, we, we don't do that. But let me tell you who can. And that's really where we think it can change the way the space operates. So I think that people are more receptive to that now than they probably were a couple of years ago, um, just because honestly, funders are starting to require you to, to show how you're collaborating with other organizations. Mm -hmm. And also the money's tight. The money is tight and we have to do more with less. Uh, and so you have to be able to to leverage other resources in order to do that. Less? You know, yeah. One of the, the things that I love that you just said is, is it's, the, it's the overlooked service member. And, and Linda and I have just pointed out several times in other shows that the National Guard and Reservists are often. They're just left alone. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, they don't have the transition class you actually do have when they come back they're just integrated right back in i mean they have that they have the yellow ribbon weekend you know that three or four days but that's about it so right. i'm really happy that you that you have are that you're um thinking of of those service members coming back from a 15-month deployment from the guard reserve there's no there's, there's no support out from like there's on active duty and, yeah, well, and, like, and they were utilized in ways that they've never been utilized before Yep, that's right. And and the, as as you pointed out, they don't have access to the resources the way those of us who were um, installation based or attached to an installation did. So that's why we're so excited about our partnership with the National Guard Family Assistance Centers is there's 300 some odd across the country. Uh, and so we want to be able to make sure that we're taking care of those folks, too. Perfect. Christy, please give out your URL. I gave it out once before, but let's make sure that they know how to find out more about Code of Support and your services and, and more about anything that's offered. 
Sure. The best way to do it is to just look at our website, code, C-O-D-E, of support.org. Uh, you can go there for information about our programs. You can go there to check out if you're a civilian. There's a 99 ways to get involved. So we give you ways to engage and support the community um, real kind of specific ways. Uh, and there's also a get help button there. So if you need help kind of navigating the system uh, and you want a veteran peer navigator or a caregiver peer navigator, give us a call. So you're suggesting a call versus the website? No, I should have said, hit us up on our website. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier for us to, um, to, to process things when we have some more information. We do cold calls if someone doesn't have access, but if they submit an application that way, we can you know, have some information before we do the intake call. Which is always helpful to be able to address needs right from the get-go. Right. Very important. So you want to go to codeofsupportfoundation.org. No, just codeofsupport.org. I'm sorry, codeofsupport.org. You got and it. find out anything you need to know and access these resources. What about organizations that wish to be considered for Patriot Link? Yeah, same thing. You can uh, contact us through the website or uh, the, the program director, Simone, at codeofsupport.org. She's the one who's taken on new pilot sites. Okay, that's perfect. Uh, wonderful. Christy, thank you for sharing so much more about all these efforts that you're making to really integrate efforts, help families, coordinate care, and to make a big difference in the lives of our service members and their families and their veterans. So we are so delighted to have had you on today, and we wish Code of Support the greatest success moving forward with Patriot. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 